0: bit about crypto. I'm your host, David James, The Job Whisperer, and I'm here with my co-host, the infamous robo recruiter, Dave Hampton.
1: Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing?
0: Yeah, really, really glad to be here. A lot of exciting things. So uh, thank you for all the nice compliments everybody's been sending me. I really didn't think this was going to get so popular so fast, but I guess uh, there's a market. I mean, everybody wants a job and everybody wants a job in crypto. And because it's sound money, it's real money and uh, the, mo- the world is moving that way. So um, as you guys know, we are, um, we own blockchain recruiters, <clears throat> and that means we recruit in the blockchain space. So if you're somebody who's got a blockchain project or a Bitcoin project or an Ethereum project, and you need any type of talent, we, we aggregate those types of people. And if you're thinking to yourself, I want a job in crypto and my skills are transferable, then <clears throat> we wanna know about you too, because it's a new space and uh, we wanna be part of that new frontier because it's clearly changing the face of the job market. And uh, I don't uh, wanna be left out, you don't wanna be left out, and crypto is part of that revolution. So today we have a very, very special guest. And I know everybody always says on every podcast it's a very, very special guest. But this this is like one of my most favoriteest friends. He's one of my actual best friends. Actually, uh, three of my best friends are in this room, I mean, uh, with, with me right now. And uh, and Jim, uh, you actually are in that population. So it's Uncle Jim we're going to call you, right? Because uh, we don't want to just give out too, too much information because the man is out there so um so it was from jim who in 2000 so we've been friends for 30 years and uh i'm going to talk about our past together you know when i was a young recruiter placing auditors jim was one of the first guys i spoke to he says i'm an auditor and he was working for motorola and he had a he had a past um working for arthur anderson before uh they did such good work for enron and um he actually had a degree in international management from Thunderbird, the School of International Management there in Glendale, Arizona. And I used to go and recruit auditors there who could speak a foreign language. So Jim and I, we were kibbits and we'd have camaraderie. And I remember it was 1981 and he said to me, he says, hey, man, have you heard about this new thing called email? I said, what's that? And he, he, he walked me through how to get an Earthlink account. And it was from Jim I got my very first email. Right. And, you know, he's two years older than me. So I've always looked to him as my older brother. And he's mentored me on so many ways. And we we maintained just a strong, strong friendship where he was a candidate that he was a hiring authority that he was a candidate of mine. And we, we got very close. And then in 2013 as our friendship strengthened. He said, hey, have you heard about this thing called the Bitcoin? And I said, what's that? So Uncle Jim is an uncle in so many ways. He got me into Bitcoin and I am forever grateful for that. I am. And um, so anyhow, so with no further ado, Uncle Jim, how are you?
2: Hey, great. How are you guys doing? Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, And I appreciate the kind words, David. Uh, The feeling is mutual. Uh, In fact, one other little tidbit there. It wasn't until about what 2016 or 17 that we actually met in person
0: right oh that's right oh. yeah you were up at the, on that conference and i drove up to palos verdes to meet you at the uh faux place right because you love <clears throat> the asian food yeah that's right
2: yeah that's right so we we have you know kept uh we have a lot of common interests uh both interested in history and uh civil war, civil war. yeah Um and uh so had a lot lot to talk about over the phone for 20 some years. 27 uh, years 27
0: years, right.
2: So uh yeah, no, it's great, great to be here, guys. Happy to happy to be here.
0: Yeah, we never had met in person and uh you know I'd hired people from him, I'd sent him on interviews, etc. etc. in multiple iterations of, of his life and mine. And we kind of like we were in between jobs, both of us. And we started a, a Bitcoin business. We went into business together, right? And we actually started a partnership. But then he said, "Hey, I got a job." I said, "Hey, I, I got a job too." So it's like we, we we both went separate directions, right? But we'd always yeah, talk.
2: oh yeah, you know, kind of the, the necessity meets um, you know reality kind of thing. Um, uh, we always had you know when when I first got into to really Bitcoin back in first heard about it in 2011 and uh bought my first bitcoins in 2012 uh back when it was around eleven dollars and and you know a lot of people say oh i wish i would have bought you know a, a ton of bitcoin back then but you know back then it was it was nobody knew what we know now and um so it was you know people were testing it out more as a medium exchange and just experimenting with it i got into a bunch of uh, other projects and uh, like a lot of people do. And and uh, David and I would, uh, you know, after I first mentioned it to David, um, you know, we thought, well, maybe we ought to start a business with this. So we came up with some ideas and then, uh, you know, the rent comes due and and uh, you have to go chase another, another uh, dollar sign for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, so, wait, hold on a second. So we could get paid in this, right? And what do do we call this today? The dirty what?
2: Dirty fiat. The
0: dirty fiat. Here, I got something else that you got to appreciate. I don't know if you can see this, right? But this is something, this is iconic for our show. This is what we use. If somebody's talking about the Fed or money printing, right? We've got that. We got it all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Uh,
2: Zimbabwe, $100 trillion. <laughs> yeah, there, there's
0: a brother who's down with the struggle. He knows. He knows the trillion. Yeah, and keep going. Keep going. I, uh, yeah. My, my impatience got the best of me, you were saying.
2: No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I was sort of a student of, of uh, uh, I, I guess I kind of grew up with um, independent and um, I always had sort of a uh, rebel against authority for lack of a better way to, to, to say that. And, and I've moved around quite a bit in my career and, and in between, um, you know, professional gigs or whatever, I would spend a lot of time trying to learn just how how things work, whether that's investing or trying to understand money. Um, and it was, you know, after the, the I, I came back from China in the late 90s And um, we had that big run-up in the late 90s, and I got stung pretty bad in the tech meltdown of 2000 and really started studying kind of the cause and effect of all that and um, really just trying to understand what is money. And so I had a little bit of a head start. It wasn't like I just saw this Bitcoin thing and, and thought it looked pretty cool or whatever. I was already pretty far down the rabbit hole of of sound money and, you know, knew what the Fed was and what central banks do and how inflation is really just another tax on, you know, the citizens. It's it's an easy tax for them to impose and started looking for ways, you know, other than Bitcoin hadn't been invented yet. So looking for ways to, you know, escape the inflation tax. Um, and you know, so I had I had gone into precious metals and things like that uh, to some degree, and and so when Max Kaiser actually started talking about Bitcoin, I think in 2011, and my brother sent me a link to a Max Kaiser episode in 2011, and so kind of like a lot of people, the first time you see it, you go, yeah, that's pretty cool. But um, I started watching Max Kaiser a little bit more. Um, so i would say he was really the one that that got me um down the rabbit hole first and then in 2012 i i found a place where you could meet people just to uh you know trade bitcoin there were market makers all over by now and you could meet somebody in a starbucks and uh you know buy uh you know hundred dollars worth of uh, bitcoin so that's how i got started. <clears throat>
0: That's, that's that's interesting. So I, I think you touched it, but I always want to ask people. So uh, usually the question is, is, how did Bitcoin find you, right? It's not how you found it. It's how did it find you? And you were you were very eloquent in talking about that. And so when you first hit and saw and learned about Bitcoin, what was the price when you first heard about it?
2: Ah, uh, gosh. You know, I don't, the, the only price I remember is the price it was when I first bought it.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, That's, that's going to be the second you know, question. Um,
2: it, it was probably in uh, the single digits. It moved around quite a bit, but it was in single digits. Like under ten bucks? Under ten bucks? Under ten bucks. Yeah, okay, for so sure.
0: here's the question. So yeah. when you, so uh so are you saying that there's a perhaps a chance that you have in your life purchased Bitcoin? Has that ever possibly happened or no? Have I purchased Bitcoin? Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. So so the first time you purchased it, what was the price?
2: It was uh it was actually I probably shouldn't you know divulge the date, but it was the reason I remember. It was November thirteenth of twenty twelve, and I paid eleven dollars and thirteen cents.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh, okay, November thirteenth. The price was eleven thirteen. That's wow. the only way I can remember. How weird that. is that? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How weird is that? So uh, I pers- I first pitched uh purchased Bitcoin in May of two thousand and 13 13 so yeah i didn't i did i didn't get it for that price no no sir <laughs> No, sir it was it was 2 it was 210 when i first got it and i got it just because i knew that 7 minutes into your diatribe into my ear i said i'm buying it i'm, you know, I'm bu- i went out and found a way to buy one buy one right. and let's talk about that how how <clears throat> how we used to have to buy bitcoin okay i'll just tell my experience i had to literally take I go to this website. It was called Cash for Coins. I think it was Cash for Coins. Was that what it was called? And you would go and you would fill out the paperwork and you would say who you are. And then you would, the guy would give you his Wells Fargo or his Bank of America bank account. And you would have to go to that bank and deposit cash in that bank. And then you would literally would take the receipt and then you would have to go and make a copy of it and then fax it to the dude. Right? Like, <laughs> talk about just like KGB, clandestine CI. You don't know who this is. You know, you know. It, sure. it's just pure, unadulterated faith. Working without a net, right? right. And right. next thing you know is it's like you could look here and you could see where your coins were on, on the blockchain because there were zero wallets. Now, that... That's, that's, uh, that's, that's my experience. And that's why I missed out on all the Bitcoin cash. I know we're talking right. above everybody's level a little bit because I, the rule to getting Bitcoin cash when the Bitcoin uh, blockchain forked was you had to have your Bitcoin in a wallet before December 5th of 2019, I think it was. And it's like, uh, I didn't know you had to put it in a wallet to get it. <clears throat> so, but anyhow, what about you? What about your first getting of Bitcoins? In the beginning,
2: well, I was I was kind of lucky because and and you know we all understand or a lot of the, the Bitcoiners now understand that uh, Bitcoin has this having cycle that occurs roughly every four years and that you know Bitcoin's price has sort of moved in um, along with this having cycle and and basically the having cycle is where the supply gets reduced. Uh, the new supply of Bitcoin that that um, goes to the miners every 10 minutes gets reduced uh, by 50% roughly every four years. So um, I was lucky in that when I I participated in that first big run-up, you mentioned that that you didn't get in until, you know, it was only six or eight months later and you had to pay,
0: you know, more than 10x. Yeah, and that's your but fault. I, and that's your fault. I thought we were friends. Anyhow, go on.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't even know about the cycles back then, and people really weren't talking about them that much. Um, but uh, for me, there was there used to be a website called localbitcoins.com. They still exist, although they do business a little bit differently than they used to. <clears throat> you used to be able to find people on local bitcoins, they had an escrow service, um, so you could use local bitcoins, but you could also um, message people offline, and then you could just go meet them and do a, you know, over-the-counter transaction with cash. Um, so that's the way I first started buying Bitcoin was with cash. Um, you could go to meetups in, in, uh, you know, every big city by 2013 was having meetups. Um, and there were a lot of people that were just so passionate about Bitcoin that they would go to these meetups and Make a market for people that were new coming in, and so you could bring, you know, 50 or 100 bucks to a meetup, and there'd be three or four people that, um, you know, would would be happy to sell you uh, Bitcoin for spot right, you know, right there. Um, so that's the way it was, kind of in the early days, and and uh, then that next having cycle occurred, sort of, um, and then the the big run up and the fork. Happened. You mentioned the Bitcoin Cash fork that happened in July and August of 2017, right before sort of a big speculative mania um, of that last cycle.
0: Yeah. So, uh, as as you know, you know our audience, ideally, you know whatever audience is evolving is evolving. But our uh, the intention of this podcast was to get an audience that actually has heard about Bitcoin. Right. And wants to like possibly get a job in Bitcoin. That's so, you know, we're, we're not like the Saifedeens or the Max Kaiser or like the Pauls or definitely the rabbit hole, you know, talking nodes and mining. But if you were to explain somebody just in a very general way, what mining is, I have trouble. I, I say it's like drilling into a mountain with a computer just using code. Right, um, just get your share of the bingo balls. Right, that's uh, right. how. T- explain in layman's terms what when because because mining really throws people, and the word coin throws people, and the word token throws people because we think of the physical thing.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, I you know I'm not a coder, but you know I am I am an accountant, and I understand that you know what Bitcoin is is really it takes double entry accounting to a whole other level with a time stamped um, ledger. So it takes a a double entry ledger and it turns it into a decentralized time stamped ledger. And what that means is that it's like a truth machine and the miners are the ones that basically take those transactions every 10 minutes and put them onto the blockchain and in exchange for arranging those transactions and putting them on the blockchain, um, the miners get paid, um, you know, the the reward um, every 10 minutes, basically. So the miners earn money both from the block reward, which will decline eventually to zero, um, and there are transaction fees. Can you you dumb it down a little bit
0: more? Can you just dumb it down? Like, yeah, just like you're talking to like, uh, your, your aunt. So so,
2: yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is really just a decentralized global ledger of transactions and the miners are the people that basically write those transactions to the ledger and they secure the network, um, by, you know, maintaining that ledger.
0: Right. So here's another thing I want to talk. Let's, let's talk about, I don't know how we want to go about this. Like I want to talk about unconfiscatable, right? Because I know that because of the blockchain technology, nobody can take it away. And, and I'll let you go about this any way you want. So, so, so let me just talk for a second. So the thing about what, when Jim is talking about uh, decentralization, he's talking about that, that Bitcoin has no corporate office with the receptionists, you know, answering calls saying, hello, Bitcoin headquarters, how can, how can I direct your call? That, that doesn't exist. okay Bitcoin right. is decentralized like Alcoholics Anonymous, like al Qaeda right? right
1: there's, there's no right. Head, there's no headquarters essentially. <laughs> no there's no not headquarters it, nowhere you can call it's just it just exists
0: right And there's this this open source code that has been embraced by all cultures throughout the world. I mean totally embraced to the point where it can't be shut down. And right. so the it, it can't be confiscated right and it can't be turned off and that's what people don't understand right and and there there's something that that's going on here where people are very very confused when Jim and I and Dave we speak about decentralization and owning cryptocurrency. And in Jim's case, uh, I'm I'm just going to out you pal. He's a maximalist. He's all about the Bitcoin. That's that, that's his, that's his coin of choice, right? His drug of choice, his coin of choice is Bitcoin. And as it relates to Bitcoin, right? I know that, that Jim is about self custody. And this is, this is where you actually custody the, the keys and the access to the blockchain yourself. And a lot of these people, they have, they have, I would think 90% of people that actually have any type of cryptocurrency, have it on an exchange somewhere like Coinbase or Kraken or Bitfinex, or, and that's not decentralized and that can be confiscated, right? right. So why don't you explain the, explain the difference? Remember who your audience is.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll back up a little bit and just say, you know i think bitcoin is really the intersection of um cryptography and i'll talk about that and that's the uh the private key and public key economics and game theory really um it's a network that was launched into the wild um in 2009 and it has aspects. There's different constituents that are all self-motivated to keep this network working. And um, you know as as David said, there's no there's no headquarters, there's no founder, there's no CEO. Um, the, you know the constituents that people usually usually hear about are miners, but there's also nodes. And a node is if if you want to, Bitcoin is an opt-in network. There are, in addition to the miners that secure the transactions in the network, there are nodes that basically validate those transactions. So um, th- there's, it, it's kind of like a, you know, uh, a system of government where you have a legislature, a, a judiciary, you know, and and, uh, and and the executive branch basically. And so you've got the miners that that secure the network and add the transactions. And you've got the nodes that basically um, confirm those transactions. And that's the most decentralized aspect of this. There's 10,000 nodes out there around the world. I run a node myself. And if the miner started issuing transactions that people did not want to validate, all of the nodes would say we don't want to validate those transactions. So it really is an opt-in network. And when you talk about the um, the unconfiscatable nature of Bitcoin, um, that is related to a couple of things. The most easiest thing to explain is that basically, when you uh, purchase Bitcoin, it's just it goes into an account on the ledger. So those funds move from somebody else's account to your account on the ledger. The only person who can spend the Bitcoins associated with your account is the person that controls the private keys that unlock those funds that allow you to send those funds to another account on that ledger. So the unconfiscatable aspect of it really relates to the cryptography which I just explained. And that cryptography has never been broken in Bitcoin. So if you secure that private key properly, nobody, no government, nobody can can confiscate those coins. So that's the first aspect of unconfiscatableness uh, for lack of a better term. The other aspect is, as David mentioned, the decentralized nature of this. So it was launched into the wild. There's 10,000 nodes out there. It it can't be decapitated. So if one government bans Bitcoin, the other 160 some governments um, may welcome Bitcoin. And there, there are a lot of countries that are way more welcoming to Bitcoin than even the US is even though a lot of the development work um, takes place in the U.S. So when I think about the unconfiscatable nature of Bitcoin, I think about the cryptography, which is its math, its its thermodynamics It just can't be broken, as well as the decentralized nature of the, uh, the network that can't be attacked by a sovereign government.
0: Hey, so Dave, I'm going to ask you because I I know this from Jim, and I know what he's going to say. But as it relates to your Bitcoin and your possessing of it, right? What what's the biggest fear that you actually have?
1: Uh, well, I mean, if if I were to own Bitcoin, I think it, it would be the. Uh, I mean, I think it's the whole idea of IRS trying to take what I've already, you know, potentially I could, I could have bought. You know, that's that's really what it is. I mean. Uh, for for me, I mean, you know, I I get the whole, you know, we we pay X amount of dollars for the government to help with, uh, you know, military, roads, et cetera, et cetera. But there's it comes a point where a dollar earned should be a hundred percent capped.
0: <clears throat> yeah, well, a dollar earned is, should be at least it should be seventy percent capped, ninety yeah, percent capped. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, nah, so
1: so so nah. I mean, to me, the the the. the the decentralization idea of of Bitcoin, the, the unconfiscatableness, is, is probably the most appealing. The, the I think the last the last thing that's appealing. I was playing with my buddy Garrett about it because he's not in it, and is that th- this transcends or crosses all borders. I mean, this is why I think this is why one of the reasons why governments are trying to get in right now. Uh, into it because they want to be able to control it, they want to be able to regulate it. I mean, everything comes back to how they can centralize everything, so we got to depend on them. And w-
0: we very much want governments to get into Bitcoin, don't we, Jim? <coughs> we want them to like put it on the, the balance sheet, don't we? Why? Hmm. Well, um, Jim will tell you. How. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess there's a debate
2: about that, and I think. Um, you know everybody's waiting for the first central bank mm-hmm. to announce that they're putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet just like they do gold and so forth. Um, but you know back to to you know David's point about um, when when I talk about Bitcoin being unconfiscatable, I want to be clear that um, most, people buy Bitcoin on on now, especially on regulated exchanges. And if you buy Bitcoin on a regulated exchange, they have your KYC and AML, which is the the banking know your customer and anti-money laundering rules. They have to abide by those rules. And so if you buy Bitcoin on a regulated exchange, it's almost the same as buying stock with with a brokerage. Um, you better be ready to pay tax on the capital gains because the IRS is going to know about it. Um, Just recently, you know, it was announced that um, the IRS has issued a John Doe summons for all of Kraken's um, customers that have done more than $20,000 in transactions with Kraken. So I go in with the assumption that when I buy on a regulated exchange, it's really no different than buying a stock and I will have to pay capital gains when I sell that Bitcoin. Um, so you know, tax rules and and those types of things still apply. Um, however, it can be purchased what I say pseud- pseudonymously, just like cash, where you can do an over-the-counter transaction with somebody. Um, and as long as your Bitcoins were purchased without KYC and AML, you know, there's a chance that it wouldn't be discovered that um, those Bitcoins trace back to you. Um, I want to, you know, make no mistake that Bitcoin is a highly regulated asset in the United States. Absolutely. And, you know, so it's not like a A lot of people discount it because they say, well, it's the wild west and the government is going to shut it down, et cetera, et cetera. And I really think that that is not quite uh, the correct way of looking at it. I agree. It's really a highly regulated thing right
0: now. And about that, it's funny because I wanted to ask you about it. And I I read this this morning that the IRS will take, will confiscate cryptocurrency to pass for, to, to pay for past taxes. And I've also heard that there there are people that says, yeah, the uh, the uh, the U.S. Marshals actually, the Department of Justice sold Bitcoin that was confiscated, right? And I just that's that's not accurate. They they confiscated it by way of a plea deal, and the person gave up the keys, right? That, so they can't just come wow. in and take your take your Bitcoin like they can your Ferrari. Right, it's it's very different, and so. But when the article came, and you know, they had they had they had their own little meeting. That's like, hey, how do we get more from the people that actually can afford to pay it? Uh, chat. Um, I was thinking to myself, I wonder what Jim's going to say about how the IRS will take crypto to pay past taxes.
2: Well, I, I think you know the desire to not spend the rest of your life in a cage. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's pretty compelling i've got that pretty big deterrent yeah
2: so you know there's a saying in bitcoin called the five dollar wrench attack right so so that cryptography can't be compromised but there is such a thing as a five dollar wrench attack where if somebody knows you have bitcoin and and you know you you haven't taken the right steps to uh secure it they can you know lock you up and threaten you with a five dollar wrench um, I think the IRS is probably the most expert at the $5 wrench attack of any entity, you know, in the world.
0: Yeah. The, the, the $12 wrench, right? <laughs> right? It's much bigger, yeah, right? Longer, heavier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And really you don't have to hit with it. You just have to like show what that type of damage, right? There's wrenches and then oh there's God. the wrench, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's like Paul Hogan. That's not a knife. This here's a knife.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. the pipe wrench attack, all right?
0: Yeah. So, um, th- this has been absolutely great. Hey, so let's let's just stop for a second, David. Let's let's start talk about some of the searches that okay. we're working on. All right. all right. So, I actually wrote a search the other day for uh, a cryptocurrency fund accountant. And the truth of the matter is, if you've done any type of currency accounting or any type of accounting, you probably qualify for this job. It's in Boca Raton, Florida, and they will relocate. All right. And um, <clears throat> I don't have the search yet, but I'm gonna get it. I'm looking for a writer, right? Who can do uh, crypto and alts and collectibles, right? So if you've got a passion for that, so um, that I don't think that's gonna be like a, exactly a full-time job, but that, I, I, I've also got a search for an uh, Ethereum developer, and I've got a senior blockchain developer search, right? And the Ethereum developer, you can be anywhere. And the blockchain developers for a project that's going, it's a great project. Uh, in, the, in Southern California. Also, uh, I yeah, you want to talk about your searches before we talk about our candidates?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, I got a, a blockchain data engineer. Got got quite a bit of engineering jobs that uh, that we got. You like out.
0: those engineering jobs?
1: I mean, I think that's the way it's gonna work, right? It's just I think engineers, you can need engineers. I think I think of all the skill sets that are getting transferred from uh, from other other. Uh, industries i think that's the role outside. dude i think
0: you have emotional crushes on these
1: full stack engineers because you always okay I mean, keep, keep going all right i got a crypto developer uh you know you got some you got some transfer wh- like you got, wh- got where,
0: are, where are these jobs located uh, sure you
1: tell so crypto developer uh, i mean it, it says anywhere literally it says anywhere
0: okay Is that that's what they told you the person could be remote yeah remote right. okay. yeah
1: i mean this i mean like it's you know so discussed before covid has really changed the uh the landscape, the of that, landscape right? of, yeah. of where you where you need to work versus where you can work, kind of thing. So I have an institutional
0: sales manager who actually literally has some crypto experience, right? I also I, I recruited him in a, a kid Steve when I was telling yeah. you that. yeah Anyhow, and then uh, I also have a uh, <clears throat> someone who actually has worked in blockchain, who who actually is a South African guy got a green card can work here he's actually uh he's head of, head of blo- blockchain and blockchain strategy and security i it's, it's really amazing i'm starting to find all these people right <clears throat> and um yeah and that's uh, and also um i have another search for a senior investigator crypto risk right for one of the yeah, big, yeah. I,
1: that's an interesting role because i think i mean I, I not that i i'm in this world but i mean forensic accounting i think is uh is probably going to be very uh apt be to be discussed i think that's that skills that's going to transfer over yeah well. which
0: brings me to my my next question as it involves our guest right so uncle jim so you know Unc- uncle jim the is a uh you know he was an in, he was an auditor for a big back then i'll give away his age a big eight accounting firm okay. right which became big six then right. became big, big five four. then became <laughs> big four right then he actually pursued his international prowess he he, he also speaks uh, uh chinese And uh, he went to work for Motorola as an internal auditor, Mm -hmm. and um, then he worked over in China, and then he was uh, the CFO of a voice over protocol uh, division of... Uh, VoIP? Vo- yeah, VoIP. Uh, Next Level Communications, it was called. Right. And he was the CFO. I remember I would listening to him on earnings call, and I'd say, my, my, my baby, he's grown up so so big. I'm so proud of him, right? He went from little auditor to he's the CFO, talking to shareholders, right? And uh, then he's, he's had a bunch of uh, money rolls, and so he can talk a thing or two about forensic accounting and forensic auditing. So, Part part of this show, really, the whole whole reason about this show is to educate people on Bitcoin. And what I want this show not to be is, is, uh, hey, you should buy this coin. Hey, you should buy that coin. This is for education, for the layman term. Because if if mo- I found like the podcast that I listen to, if my wife listens to this, she's not going to keep listening because there's no uh, on ramp for them to really start understanding. I mean, I'm I'm quite committed to my Bitcoin cryptocurrency knowledge addiction, right? It, it is supplanted. I mean, I'm going to get rid of serious radio and I'm just going to get rid of uh, iTunes because all I need are podcasts. And I, I see Jim nodding his head there, but really what I want you to speak about either, either it's your opinion of what you see or what you have seen, how blockchain is changing the job market.
2: Oh, it's, uh, it's crazy. And uh, I mean, it, it does remind me of, of uh, you know, the internet boom um, in the in the late 90s a lot. Um, it's where all the you know the smartest people are going. If I was, when or if I'm reincarnated, I want to take one of those those developer jobs you guys have. Uh, no hope for me to do that now because i'm um it's harder to teach an old dog like me those new those new tricks boomer about, boomer yeah yeah right boomer Gen x whatever you want to call it right on the cusp there but um no it, it's crazy like I, I spend a lot of time listening to as as david james said you know podcasts and um you know, and and surfing you know the internet reading stuff like that and i'm always stumbling on um searches every one of these companies that is you know forging into this new space is just crying for for talent and i think um you know as as david hampton said you know the the Uh, coders and developers are really um it's like the internet on steroids those guys are gonna gonna rule the world here um when you you know the the forensics and analytics side i think is important too um but it's a little bit of an arms race going on right now there's a few companies that are out there that are trying to reduce the fungibility of um of bitcoin meaning they're trying to separate uh good actors from bad actors and 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 really make it so that some bitcoins are whitelisted and some bitcoins are blacklisted and they use a lot of this um forensics and what they call chain analysis there are several companies that are getting big money now from agencies like the irs and so forth that are hiring a lot of those types of people um, which is an area that, you know, I personally have a little bit of a, uh, some of us that, that like the fungibility or want to strive for more fungibility and privacy, um, you know, don't want to feed the arms race too much on that side of the equation. But if it's somebody like, you know, uh, a good actor in the space or an exchange or whatever, um, then I think that's, uh, that's great.
0: Yeah, so um, I, I just want to say this, that in uh, when Jim and I first met Dad, back in those dial-up Earthlink days in 1991, one-half a percent, Dave, were using the actual internet, right? Less than one percent were using the internet. And today, today, 60 percent of the world is using the internet, right? Today, less than one percent of the world is using blockchain. Less than one percent, right? So it just shows you where we're going to be. So... Um, Jim, I want to. Yeah, and, and if I could say one thing
2: on that data, um, one of my favorite sort of latecomer OGs to this space is Michael Saylor. Um, we've talked about him quite a bit. And, Bitcoin and- Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the, the later the the later Bitcoin Jesus. Uh, The first Bitcoin Jesus, Roger Ver, kind of went off the reservation, but Michael Saylor has really come on strong over the last year. And and one of the things to your point on um, on that, you know, Michael Saylor, he 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 basically says that uh, um, the network effects for money and value are at least an order of magnitude stronger than the network effects for what drove the internet. Um, So, you know, the companies that were created on the internet, like Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, um, they had very powerful network effects. And that's why, you know, Facebook won over MySpace, Google won over AltaVista, et cetera. Once they get to a certain size, there's like an event horizon there and nobody can take them down. Michael Saylor is always saying that the network effects with money and value are so much stronger than they were for this communications and Internet space that, you know, a lot of people, including me, think that the bonanza of new jobs and so forth coming into uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically are going to be way bigger than, than the Internet.
0: Yeah. And about that, it's just amazing. We, 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 we started this, we started talking about it and, and you know, I'm I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm the BTC recruiter at the BTC recruiter. You guys can find me there if you need candidates or if you need, uh, (laughs) if you need a job, you want to change, you find me at the BTC recruiter. And it's just, I can't believe how many people on LinkedIn and BTC recruiter have called me and said, I've got this search. I mean, it's, it's like hitting a fishing hole, and you just can't—you can't get the pole in the water fast enough. Or someone's biting on. Then the, the need is so great, it's changing. It just hasn't quite hit mainstream yet.
1: Hey, yeah, I, I uh, uh, have a question for you, Jim. Uh, that picture frame in your your uh, background—what what, can you tell us? What that is, or what that story is?
2: Uh, yeah, that that is the uh, headline. In the London Times on January 3rd, 2009, and Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous inventor or discoverer of Bitcoin, he put the headline of that article into the first Bitcoin block that was ever mined. So that first Bitcoin block that they call the Genesis block Mm -hmm. has a memo Saying, Chancellor on Brink of Second Bailout for Banks. And that newspaper was dated January 3rd, 2009. And I think he really did it for two reasons. One is that timestamp, anybody can go to that, the, the London Times, and see that that was the headline. So it sort of proves that he that that first block was dated January 3rd, 2009. And the other reason that he put that in there is that um, the the origin of Bitcoin and the origin of the whole cypherpunk movement was very um, interested in a system where central banks can't just bail out companies and debase everybody's time and value through money creation wow interestingly that that uh i did some searching around and the original of that newspaper uh front sheet there uh trades for upwards of a million u.s and there's only about three or four known copies in existence yeah
0: okay. that's a. Uh- I'm sorry, you're about to no, say something? Go ahead. Yeah, you know, the thing about that is, and, that, and that's, the, that's the next thing that's really important is, is that, you know, as, as Ma, Max Kaiser talks about, this is important for our listeners, as Max Kaiser talks about, he worked on Wall Street. And what they used to say as it relates to Wall Street making money don't worry about any laws. Don't worry about any laws. We'll break them and we'll get the laws changed and we'll get everybody forgiven. And that's exactly what happens because Wall Street puts everybody in office. Right? whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, they pay for their best interest. And the, and that's why the the good news about uh, Bitcoin actually being proliferated in business by powerhouses like Tesla and Visa and PayPal and Grayscale, these people are gonna start paying for politicians. Grayscale just bought into the New York Giants, right? And so basically the, the Bitcoin influence is good for people who, who have or are going to have Bitcoin. But what I wanted to say is, is it, is that you know you you learn that you USB or HBC or JP Morgan they just do these multi multi billion dollar frauds and what do they do they pay a fine of 16 million dollars right that's like right. Yeah, that's like going to Starbucks right and they'll say that's 6 dollars and 40 cents and you give them a 20 and go yeah that's all right you keep it right that, that's that's right. it's the same amount of pain to one of us right that it's like I I, I forgot my change. It's like, it's that irritating to them and that, and they know that that's going to be the outcome. Nobody, nobody really goes to jail, right? Unless they got to find a sacrificial lamb. So what ended up happening is they said, you know, we can make money on this, these, these, these mortgages that just keep going up, 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 up. And the only requirement is, is if you can fog a mirror, you get a loan. So for the first time in the history of of America, we, instead of houses, Uh, looking for money we had money looking for houses right and what did the government do the government bailed out the exact criminals that created all the all the the problems instead of going and taking all that money and saying okay everybody who's upside down one of those mortgages we're going to pay it off right Right. and if they'd have done that we'd be in a totally different situation but because of politics and influence and, and, and corruption that's exactly what happened Right. And now we're in the same type of situation. Right. Even though this problem wasn't necessarily caused by Wall Street. Right. But the Wall Street is capitalizing is when. A year so I'll tell you what happened in March of 12, 2012. I was about to buy a house. And I said to my, myself, my wife, we're not buying the house because what's going to happen is everybody's going to be out of work and they're going to have to sell their home so they can just survive. And I, I was so, so wrong. I was so wrong. What that is the, went
1: right, right back up.
0: Yeah, well, what happened was is there's this, just, this, this, this insertion of trillions of dollars into everybody's pocket, and then interest rates were brought down and to the point where we're, we're doing the exact same thing. Now we've got money, easy money, looking right. for houses again. As a matter of fact, in Oakland, Alameda County, San Jose, in the Bay Area, houses are going for $1 million over ASK. You list a house right. for three million. You get forty offers, and you take the one wow. that's a million. It th- this insanity can't continue. But that goes to the fact, and I want Jim to speak on this. Okay, I'm going to put him up. Give me, give me a close. Give me a closing, Travis. Give me a closing. All right, I've got, I've got the one hundred trillion dollar bill backed on the good faith of the Bank of Zimbabwe. All right. And of course, I've got this garbage right here, which is American fiat. Right. And that goes out. So explain to our audience about, you know, what the Fed is doing, because it was hard for me to understand about how the money printing. Eventually, this just can't last. And it's it's diluting everybody's ability to purchase and why that's good for crypto. I mean, cryptocurrency is going up, up, up. And and this is a reflection of it. So please talk on it.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, there's there's been about a 30 year uh, what they would be called a bull market in bonds because interest rates have been going down, 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 down uh, for 30 years. So even, you know, six or eight years ago, if you were lucky enough to save up a million dollars for your retirement, um, you could go invest it risk-free and get fifty thousand dollars a year of income off that that money um now with interest rates being effectively zero um that million dollars that you you know worked your whole life to save doesn't yield anything for you and so what what they've done is not only have they lowered interest rates to make it so that there is no risk-free yield they quantitatively increase the money supply to steal, as I mentioned before, people's labor via inflation. Because at the end of the day, um, inflation is really a monetary phenomenon. Um, they they always try to obfuscate that, oh, prices are going up and the evil gas companies are gouging, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it, it really always comes back to that quantitative easing. And who does it punish? It punishes people who save in the in the sovereign currency, the US dollar, and it punishes workers and it punishes people who don't have those speculative assets that are, you know, all of that money creation goes into um, the more speculative assets, which the wealthy are able to capitalize on. So You know, it used to be where you could save up your currency and, you know, grandma could put her savings into a, a treasury bond and live, you know, for the rest of her life off that interest. That's gone now. So they've turned us all into speculators. And, you know, Michael Saylor talks about this, converting their $500 million of their corporate treasury felt like he was sitting on a a melting ice cube Mm. and he's looking for something that um, is a strong store of value and that the central bankers cannot steal from people via you know quantitatively increasing the money supply so um you know it's that's a long conversation we've we've talked about that quite a bit David. but that's kind of my my take on it, it's sort of a safe haven, it's a lifeboat from a lot of the insanity that we see uh, going on right now.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, people are our age, and we're, we're at the young spectrum, right? Pe- people who are between, you know, that were born between 1935 and 1965, oh well, let's call it, right, boomers, right? They're the ones that actually have had all the wealth, right? The wealth has been passed down to them, right? And everybody, let's go to college, get a good job, buy a house, and you secure your future, right? But that, right. that, that and, and the whole go to college and get a loan, it, it has been a lie to everybody, all, all kids that are 35 and younger. It's been an absolute lie because for most, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or an architect or something where you're going to apply that actual trade with those, those four years or six years or whatever it is, you actually now are $100,000 in debt and you qualify for the job at Starbucks, next to the guy or gal who didn't go to college and they got four years work experience and they get more than you because they're your boss because they got the work experience. I'm, I'm, right. ma- I'm making a generalization. But this is why cryptocurrency, the, the these younger kids, they understand this and they see this clearly. Cryptocurrency is their way into investing in an office building. When we, when we were young, we said, hey man, if we could own an office building by
1: the airport, we could be set. That's the way we... I mean, yeah, real estate was king back then. I mean, that's it's a physical asset, and this is as close to a uh, uh, I mean, it's a digital asset in this case, right? I mean, that's that's really what you guys are saying. It's not physical coins. It's not, but it's it's something that's tangible that's uh, increased in value. Well,
0: well, if somebody said to me, "Hey, you can actually get into the I don't know the Bellagio casino for ten dollars, and that ten dollars will be one hundred and ten dollars right in a year and a half." Right. I, but that's being like,
1: part owner of the. Biology. Yeah.
0: That's like buying yeah. 10 tokens or 10 or 0. 0.0005 Bitcoin or whatever it is. See, that exists for that. Now, I yeah, mean you know,
2: the, the, the government publishes these inflation statistics that are absolute garbage. And they say that, oh, you know, uh, inflation is running at two percent. We're going to let it get a little bit hot and go up to three. All of the things that you want. Are inflating at. 10, 20, now 30 percent per year. Right. Um, what do you want? You want a college education for your kids. You want a beach house in Malibu. You want a nice car. You want a, a condo. You know, all of the things that you want are inflating at many, many multiples of this bogus CPI that they produce. Now, even food is that over the last year, food is inflated it's by inflated. like 20 yep.
1: percent. Definitely.
2: Um, so you know, it really is. I think the the that that's what a lot of people like me hope that Bitcoin can sort of retain its roots of you know being a sound money and and uh, you know it, it's the only asset in world history in the universe that is provably scarce and its quantity is fixed. Even gold which'm I'm, I'm uh, you know I'm a big fan of, of precious metals also. but even gold, when the price of gold goes up, the miners get all geared up and the quantity then increases quite a bit and then that stabilizes the pricing. And we're talking so, about
0: gold miners just for the sake of our audience. we're talking about miners yes, correct. drills in the ground right. right got it right yeah yeah, I pretty don't... much
2: every every other asset, as the price goes up, People race to supply more quantity. Um, yeah, but with Bitcoin, and,
1: with, but with Bitcoin, if I understand understand correctly, because of the having, you're you're not able to even if, even the, the same amount of work that you were doing previously isn't going to yield the same amount of uh, results that you were doing before, right? That's that's what that's the difference between the mining of gold and the mining of Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever that you know, whatever that is. is that that's correct? right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I want I want uh, a last topic that I actually want to. T- well, I got two last topics I want to touch about. But so let's talk about gold and silver, right? And it used to be that when the dollar was bad, precious metals like gold and silver would go high, right? And when the dollar was good, then precious metals would go down, right? Not to mention the fact that gold is totally fabricated, manipulated, suppressed markets by places like yeah. by banksters, fake like, ETFs, yeah, yeah, all that, all, stuff. All, 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 that yeah. all that stuff. So, but, but let's talk about where where people that believe in Bitcoin and crypto and people that believe in gold and uh, silver, precious metals, where they they don't necessarily, they're they're kind of aligned. They kind of stand together as far as what it is, as it relates to a store of value and a security. Right? So let's. Absolutely.
2: I I think there's there's a 90% overlap between the reasons to own precious metals and the reasons to own um, Bitcoin. Um the, there's a lot of you see a lot of infighting, but it's really you know intra-tribal warfare um between the gold bugs and the, the Bitcoin maximalists, basically. Um and, and I'm probably more uh a little bit more allocated toward bitcoin
0: than i am precious metals but i see yeah, just based on the price of how far it's gone up right it just it, it, yeah, for- exactly. it forced your over allocation right because buy, it went up by a thousand percent or whatever it is for in sure. the period of time yeah go ahead jim
2: yeah but but the thing that um the thing that happened with gold is the achilles heel of gold was that it was allowed to be centralized and right. most people don't want to be bothered by holding their own physical and whenever you centralize something, um, the banker's business model is to sell stuff they don't own and to lease it out. And you have all these shenanigans going on. Um, it's a, the you know the eternal business model of whenever you centralize anything, um, it's going to get corrupted. And there's the the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it's really easy to own, where you custody your own funds. Um, in fact, I think it's probably easier to custody your own funds than it is to keep it even on the exchange. Um, and it's, you know, orders of magnitude more secure. Uh, that lends to the decentralized aspect of it. Although, again, going back to kind of uh, how I hope Bitcoin preserves some of its, its uh, roots here is that, um, you know, th- the banks are now wanting to get into Bitcoin in a big way. And people may just decide to custody their Bitcoin with the banks, and uh, you know if that happens in a really big way, there might be some risk that that Bitcoin starts to get rehypothecated. Explain what and that is. So, Explain what that is. Explain re. Re-play. So yeah, re- rehypothecated is basically just um, selling stuff that you don't own. So if a warehouse has uh, gold receipts of, you know, let's say they have a thousand gold bars. Um, but they issue um, gold receipts for five thousand, knowing that only one in five is going to want to redeem you know their gold. So what it does is it it puts artificial supply on the market and dampens the price.
0: Yeah, did you um, read, Did you read that the Bank of England actually had to restate their numbers and they were only off by three million bars? Or something. I, like that. I read yeah, that. Yeah, something, yeah, something yeah. like that. Right, because it's like we don't even care how good our ledger is because we right. just, we it's it's uh, it's all made. I want to ask. It's a
1: show game, is what it is, right? I mean, it, that's it's completely a show game. Absolutely,
0: I mean, David. Uh, absolutely. So I want to talk about the the current state of where we are in spring of 2021 and the the financial money printing. It's well, actually, I want to say something. So somebody recently said to me a few weeks back that Joe Biden just passed the law that you have to pay 40% capital gains taxes. And it's funny how this is being passed because Joe Biden's not capable as president, he's not capable of passing any law. He's only capable of signing a bill into law, right? And you got to get Five. 500 people who chronically disagree and bicker to come to come to terms and pass in in two separate bodies. And sure. so and I I I just I I but the reason I'm talking about this is, is that the money printing and the, the more stimulus and, you know, at the, t- at the time of this podcast, they're, they're still talking about getting another two trillion, you know, into the masses, you know, and wherever that goes. that's not the whole point of the show. How do you think it ends? I mean, just 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 give me your sci fi prediction on where we are with all this cash. And you can go as, as as dark as, you know, I'm concerned about commodities going up and violence when people can't get enough to eat. Right. Right. So so talk, talk about how you think it's going to end, man.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're um, we've been preparing for this for we've seen a lot of signals along the way, um, you know, even going back to um, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. But, you know, in, in 1933, FDR outlawed gold ownership because he didn't want people to be able to store their labor in something that would hold its value. That was not repealed until like 1975. Believe it or not, you were not able to own gold bullion (laughs) legally between 33 and 75. Um, So, and then in 1971, Nixon closed the, the Bretton Woods system, which basically backed all of the global currencies by the dollar, which in turn was backed by gold. And so, if you there's a website called WTF Happened in 1971 that shows actually there was an inflection in 1971 in practically every economic metric that um, that you can look at productivity etc that shows we, we started going off the rails in the early 70s when we delinked the dollar entirely to gold um, and then obviously you know we had the 2008 And that's when I really kind of woke up and said, you know, uh, this is this is going to get crazy here. And now I think we're just in complete hyper mode here. Um, I don't know if it's going to be hyperinflation. It's definitely going to be stronger inflation than I think, you know, any of the authorities are predicting. So, you know, I guess what that means is you try to um, keep your assets in something that isn't um, a US dollar account basically oh, you got it um you know stocks will do well they typically do well in the early periods of of really high um inflation um you know you don't want to own bonds because i i think they're going to keep interest rates very low or negative um so that the day the 30 year bond market is over basically yeah um and you know like like we've talked about real estate and then um, precious metals and and Bitcoin. Um, I am sort of a maximalist. I have played around with a lot of the other coins, but I think for a store of value and protection of your labor, it's probably it, it's it's definitely the paramount um, you know cryptocurrency for that.
0: You're saying Bitcoin is.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. You um, gonna say something? No. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So I want I want to ask you this. Okay. So. In spring of 2022, 12 months from where we're right now, what do you think the price of Bitcoin will be?
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: So um, I think that the cycle, if you if you if this four year cycle, if you believe in this having cycle, um, it would sort of peak out. Uh, towards the end of of 2021 this year and then maybe taper off. There's people that argue that it will be a kind of a hyper cycle where we won't get the big pullback anymore. I think that I wouldn't want to pick a number, but I think it'll be well in excess of 100K.
0: Okay, and of all the coins that are actually in existence right now that people are talking about today, what will be... I'm not going to say non-existence, but what will be irrelevant? Everybody's talking about right now, you know,
2: uh, a year from now. Doge.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100% I agree with you on that. So anyhow, uh, Jim, I can't thank you enough for actually uh, coming on today. This conversation is every time I talk to you, I, my jaw drops and I, I feel like I'm Kane from Kung Fu and you're the, the blind guy saying, so yeah, you dude, you're not ready to walk the rice papers. I learned so much from you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really grateful that you you made your time and you're available and I'm definitely going to have you back on. And um, if you decide that it's not a good idea, I'll show up at your house with a wrench and I'll g- compel you to keep talking. Uh, <clears throat> so anyhow, so the first thing. Yeah, I- no, I mean,
2: I, I I'd just like to say you've been a great friend and. And uh, over a lot of years, and uh, I I enjoy just spitballing this stuff with you. We do this we do this all the time. Um, freak, you know, what's that? Freak. Yeah, freak. Yeah.
0: Um, explain. And, the- you know, I've, explain. Explain. The- kind i
2: of I'm that crazy guy, or I used to be that crazy guy at the dinner party or whatever, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, talking about Bitcoin, and and it's amazing how few people actually are willing to look behind the curtain a little bit because it's so easy to discount Bitcoin when you first look at it. And David was one of those one in a hundred people that when I told him about it, um, you know, because it's something you have to grab yourself. You can't just have somebody hand it to you. When I first told him about it, David just, you know, it, it wasn't long afterwards. He was like, dude, this, this is freaking awesome. Yeah, no, It so, was
0: seven minutes into the call. I was getting one <laughs> right. seven minutes into the call. So, you know, the, the thing about it is, is so Jim and I, when we actually speak to one another and in, in, in my phone, right? he, I say, Hey Siri, call freak. Right. And he, you know, and uh, Siri will say calling uncle Jim. Right. And so anyhow, so explain, explain why we call each other freak and, and in the community and why that's a thing.
2: Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, uh, podcasts is, uh, Tales from the Crip and the Rabbit Hole Recap, and it's run by these uh, two guys, um, Marty uh, Bent and Matt Odell, and they call all of their their plebs or plebs they call them freaks. So hey, freak. So all these bitcoiners are now freaks. So David and I started calling each other freaks, and Uncle Jim is the guy that, uh, you know. He coaches the rest of his family on how to not get crushed in scams and that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so, so I'm Uncle Jim, and we're both freaks.
0: It, it's been great. So I just want to talk, talk to the audience a little bit. So you know, I'm David James, the Job Whisperer, and my my co-host was kind of silent today. Dave Hampton, I'm
1: just listening to the conversation.
0: Yeah, you're a great listener. I could learn a lot from you and he's the robo recruiter cuz he's relentless. Yeah. so if you're looking for a job in crypto, right? Find me at the btcrecruiter.com, right? And if you uh, if you've got a project or you need candidates, you know, you can find you could go to blockchainrecruiters.net, blockchainrecruiters.net. So any anyway, I want to thank Travis my engineer. I want to thank Dave, my co host. I want to thank Uncle Jim for coming on. And I'm David James, the Job Whisperer. Get Whispered.